Thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for a vision for us and that you have illuminated to us in your word. Pray that we'd allow that word to captivate our thinking, that we can walk in close association and union with you, and that our days would be have real value. So we just ask for wisdom and direction and that uh, your word would accomplish the purpose for which you sent. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <coughs> now, it's, this is a, a message, really, it's on rest. But I called it Relax and Enjoy the Ride. You know, there's a misconception that's prevalent both to the lost as well as the saved that we're or we need to be actively involved in salvation. So those who would uh, uh, add some work to gain God's favor so that they would not perish, but could have everlasting life. It's also true of us, who have placed our faith in Christ, that we think we can live the Christian life apart from that total faith and trust in what God has already done for us. So God calls to us from the middle of, turn your Bibles, a lot of Bible turn again tonight, to the book of Hebrews. We're going to read from chapter 3, verse 7, all the way to chapter 4, verse 16. We must learn to rest in Christ's finished work for us. And so he tells us in Hebrews 3, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. In the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me and saw my works forty years. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation and said, They do always err in their heart. They have not known my ways, so I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation. For some, when they had heard, did provoke, albeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. But with whom was he grieved forty years, was it not? with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness. 
And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believe not? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Let us, therefore, fear, lest the promise being left of us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into rest. As he said, I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished before the foundation of the world. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest, seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein. And they to whom was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. Again he limited a certain day, saying to David, Today, after so long a time it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. For if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day. There remaineth a rest to the people of God. For he that has entered into his rest also has ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Now, there's a few words we are not. We won't have time to go through all of these verses. But there's a few words here that you need to understand. We need to get a clear understanding of so we can make sense of what he wants and what he has provided here. You think of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was instituted by God in the Old Testament, and it was a total cessation from effort or any work. Now, we have lost that in in our world today. Sundays have no consequence, no value, no discernible difference from other days. But that was not always so. The complete cessation of effort leads us to a working definition, though, of rest. Because for us, rest is a complete collapse into the arms of Jesus Christ. You know, it's appropriated by faith or trust. And it's enjoyed by faith in God's word and an understanding of his work for us. In our position, our standing is a perfect position. And we have a a position as a child of God. But that standing is in Christ. We share in that perfection. God looks at us and he sees Christ's work on the cross, his death. He doesn't see our pitiful human form. 
And his blessings are bestowed upon us because we are in Christ. You know, Schaefer has uh, 33 things that he says are made available to us the moment we're saved. I'm not, we won't go through them all, but we are accepted by God because we have Christ in us. We're reconciled to God because we're brought back to a righteous position because we are in Christ. We're redeemed, set free from the bondage of sin because we are in Christ. We have been forgiven all sin and unrighteousness because we're in Christ. And so our acceptance of Jesus Christ as our Savior it procured for us this outpouring of blessings from God. Our position is perfect, but let's consider our experience, our day-to-day. We place our faith in Christ to be saved. We rely upon his work on our behalf to guarantee us that we're going to go to heaven, not because of what we've done or will do, but because of what he's done for us. And then as we live our life on this earth, we lose sight of that. And we start to hustle and bustle and see what we can do to please God. What can we do to order our lives? What can we do to do make our our life more in line with the word of god we fail to walk by faith you know in galatians 2:20 it says i'm crucified with christ nevertheless i live yet not i but christ liveth in me and the life that i now live in the flesh i live by the faith of the son of god who loved me and gave himself for me we need to learn to trust God for our provision in life. As we do that, as we learn to trust, then we can enjoy peace and a quietness, a rest, a Sabbath in our lives, a cessation from work. Moment by moment, rest with God is possible. Well, how is that accomplished in us? How do we enjoy that rest? Well, turn in your, you're going to do some turn. Turn in your Bibles to Philippians 4 and look at verse 6 and 7. It says, be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which patheth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The power is in bringing our cares to him. But it's walking in close association with Christ. Relaxing in the trust that God is able to perform all that he has said he would do 
and all that we ask according to his will. Perfect inner peace in the presence of great turmoil around us. What a, what a blessing from God that is. To understand these two chapters or parts of chapters in Hebrews, we need to go back and have a little historical snapshot, the nation of Israel. So turn to Exodus chapter 17, verse 1. Now, when you get to Exodus 17, the nation of Israel had already been delivered from death of the Passover, had already been delivered from Egypt in crossing the Red Sea. Those are examples of being saved in crisis situations. But how about a day-to-day situation? How about provision for daily needs? We all experience trials, difficulties, hardships. And often we can, in the most difficult situations, trust the Lord because it's beyond our scope anyway. But how about in the little day-to-day things? We need to view our problems with the idea that the greatest one's already been solved. We're going to heaven. So Exodus 17.1, the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin. After their journeys, according to the commitment of the Lord, they pitched their tents in Rephidim. And there was no water for the people to drink. They'd been led by the Lord to this spot. And he brought them there and there's no water. You ask yourself, well, how is that provision? How is God providing for them? What would we say if we felt the Lord led us somewhere and we get there and we don't have the daily substance that we need? Do we have the faith to see that God obviously has something different, a plan in place in our lives, or do we throw up our hands and run You know, in 1 Kings 17, the Lord brings Elijah to a place where he will provide for him, and the ravens bring him food. And he's by this beautiful little brook, and the brook dries up. What lousy provision from God. He brought Elijah to the very spot, the very spot spiritually that these, the nation of Israel is at. What would we draw from the story? You know, sooner or later, every believer comes to a dried up brook, a, a provision where there's no sustenance in some way, shape, or form. No human intervention is possible. He couldn't make water come to that creek. What will we do? Well, what does the nation of Israel do? When you think about it, there's 
at least two, two to three million people, and there's no water. But if we have, will you trust me? That's what God's telling him. Will you trust me that I will provide? Well, you know, he provided, again, our greatest need when he provided Christ's death, burial, and resurrection so that we could be saved from an eternity in hell. And we place our faith in that willingly. And yet, these difficult day-to-day situations, we find ourselves with an inability to trust. Now, I was talking this morning out at camp about this at devotions, and it brought up children. You know, children are designed by God with a unique ability to trust. You know, children, I'll tell you, our children as little tykes, you know, they didn't question that we would provide for them. They never wondered, you know, until they got older, where everything was coming from. They never wondered. They never thought, how is it going to work? They, they were, that childlike faith was that their mom and dad were going to provide for them. But that same childlike faith is what God desires of us. And that's what's required to live life on this earth in a meaningful way. Now, Exodus 17.2 should say, and the people thank God for all he had previously provided. But that's not what they say, and that's not what we would say. We, too, are panic-button Christians. We fall apart when there are little pressures in our day-to-day existence. So what does 17.2 actually say? Wherefore the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said, Why would you chide with me? Wherefore do you tempt the Lord? Chide, gripe, complain, criticize, those are all the same word. And it's human nature in difficult situations. In a sense, they're saying, God, I'm so thirsty, give us something to drink. And the visible scapegoat is Moses, always is in this, in his, really in the whole time he's leading the people. He reminded them of God's provision. But thirst is a very real problem. God's gracious despite their unbelief. He tells Moses to go before the people and smite the rock. The rock brings forth water. And we think of the illustration of Jesus Christ who is once smitten for us. In 1 Corinthians 10.4 he says, And all did drink that same drink. They drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. Now Meribah should mark it down because turn to uh, Numbers chapter 20. Numbers 20, verse 2. And there was no water for the congregation. This is 40 years later. 
Forty years later, they're in the same spot. There's no water. No water, a generation of lots of training. They have seen God provide over and over for these 40 years, but there is no water. And you would think then the result would be different. You know, there's problems that we all face. There's no something in all of our lives. And often, just like this, it's often the same, no something. We need to rely on the Word of God. We need to know the Word of God. And we need to rely on the Word of God that we know. We need to trust that he is able to resolve issues in our lives. We need to step out by faith and see him work in our life. We need to claim the promises. There are over 7,000 promises in the word of God. We need to claim those promises and trust him. But here in Numbers 2 and 3, the people chose Moses and saying, Would God that we had died with our brethren died before the Lord? No one has it as rough as us. Complain, complain, complain. And we often don't regard our salvation. Think about, would to God we had died when our brethren died before the Lord? Now, I don't know how often, if ever, but there's the opportunity for sure in our lives When we have a spiritual conflict or a battle and we look at the lost and they have none because they don't have a spiritual battle, they cannot. Man, the conflict with God, if we're walking out of fellowship and he is seeking to bring us back, there's times where we would say, I wish, maybe I wish I was never saved. I wouldn't have this battle. Now, ultimately, no one would be foolish enough to say that and lose the fact that they can go to heaven. But the conflict in our lives, the battle, if we're doing it in our own strength, becomes burdensome. People want to throw their hands up and walk away. But the key is not to rely on your own strength and therefore be frustrated. The key is to rely on the Spirit of God, to have that confidence in what his word says he will do, to have that walk with him, and we'll see then to have that rest, that we can rest in that. Now we know that from Romans 8.28 that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. And we understand that there's a greater purpose in everything that comes in our life, every trial. But it requires divine viewpoint to see that. It requires an attitude that sees God's work in our lives 
as the most important thing and sees that we would want to walk in close association with him. Now, I'm not going to go through the whole story here about him uh, striking the rock and, and what a failure in that respect. But let's go with that backdrop. Let's go back to Hebrews chapter 3. Provocation he talked about. And the day of provocation is found in verse 8 of chapter 3. That's the same word as tried that we saw in Exodus 17. In the day of that complaining. You know, God is telling us to listen if we would hear his voice in verse 7. If we would hear his voice, if we would occupy ourselves with the word of God, if we would concentrate on the promises that he's given, if we would see all the blessings he's given us in our life, we would then... have the strength to deal with the things that befall us. You know, in Isaiah 41, 10, he says, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. You know, 1 Peter 5, 7, Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Psalm 55, 22, cast your burden upon the Lord. He will sustain you. You could go on and on and on. The encouragement from God's word, the encouragement to our hearts from God's word is there for us. But we have to open the book. We have to spend time in the word of God. He will encourage our hearts. He will allow us then to trust Because we see his provision for us. So in verses 8 and 9 he says, Harden not your hearts as in the provocation. The day, harden through habitual unbelief. Harden from the day in and day out. Striving to accomplish the most menial tasks in this life. Stressing over details. That really mean nothing in the long run. If we had his promises in our mind, we would not walk in unbelief as the nation of Israel did. They're for our example. It's written for us so that we could learn from that example. The Sabbath rest is provided for all of us. Well, do we trust him? Do we trust him to provide that for us? Will we believe his word? But I would say again, we can't trust in something we don't know. So the first question is, what do we know about what the Bible says? How much time do we spend reading the Word of God? Now, those who have been saved a considerable amount of time have read a lot of Bible verses. But how many did you read today? How many of you read yesterday? Where is your mind occupied? 
verse 10, he says, Wherefore I was grieved with that generation. They do always err in their heart. They're described as failing to trust in God's provision. And he tells us why. They did not even know him. You know, the more you read his word, the more you see that there is to know. And often we are Bible-carrying Christians instead of Bible-reading Christians. Rest is provided for us, and we enter into it by yielding to the Holy Spirit. And how do we do that? By spending time in God's word. We have a rest. He tells us that. There remaineth a rest. Well, do we live in light of that? Now, in verse 11, he's talking about, or back to, anyway, Kadesh Barnea, which is in Numbers 14. Only Caleb and Joshua of that first generation of Israelites can enter the promised land because of what? Unbelief. So he says in 12, take heed. Take heed. He's writing this for us that we would listen, that we would note this. Lest there be in any of you the evil heart of unbelief. Remember the victories that God has provided in your life. Remember the instances where Christ uplifted your spirit. Provided all of your needs. He said he would anyway. We don't believe it. We don't trust in him. When things become difficult, we seek to find a solution. Remember when life is good, God is uppermost in our thinking. Now, in Exodus 14, 13, Moses said to the people at the Red Sea, he said, Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. In Isaiah 40, 31, he tells us that they that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings as eagles. They'll shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. When they stood on the bank of the Red Sea, they didn't rush in. They waited, as he said, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And they waited as the, as the Egyptians were you know, pounding on the gates, if you want to call it that. And God provided a way of escape. When we stand still and trust God... By applying the promises that we see from God's word, we will have victory. Though we ask ourselves, what is our Meribah? You know, the sin mentioned is unbelief. Think about we talked about it's unbelief. What is our no water situation? What makes us shout, I don't know if I can take it. I don't know if I can stand it. 
When God puts you in the furnace of trials, he wants you to learn to trust him. God's provision is his word. In his word, he's given us all the encouragement, all the blessings, all the promises that we could, more than we could ever use up in our lives. He provides the perfect peace of mind, a perfect rest. In 1 Peter 1.7, he says, The trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. We know from uh, Hebrews 11, when he talks about faith, he says that it is impossible to please him without faith. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a what? A rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That diligently seek him, that go to him, that that want to walk with him. Now turn to chapter four. I don't know where we are. Are we in Hebrews eleven? Hebrews 4 is where we need to be. (laughs) It must be hard to be a happy Christian because there are so many pressures on a believer. You know, an unbeliever can't even recognize. And often the more useful a Christian is for the Lord, the more pressures seem to be applied. In verse 1, he says, Let us therefore fear, lest the promise being left us of entering into his rest, any should seem to fall short of it. Let us. He's telling us that we should then fear. We should then be careful. Or we should pay attention so that we appropriate the promise of a rest. An inheritance, a divine provision, a rest has been provided for us. In Matthew 11, Christ says, Come unto him and he will give us rest. Now, though that word is not in Philippians 4, when he talks about, described as the peace of God, the peace of God that passeth all understanding will keep your hearts. The rest that God can provide tells us to be anxious for nothing. Rest is available. God's provision is spelled out and as where we see it over and over. We simply need to trust him. Verse 2 here in chapter 4, he talks about, For unto us was the gospel preached as well as them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard. Knowing God's promise, but applying God's promise, trusting it, and stepping out by faith. Now, if you think about the numbers 
experience at Meribah, that was a repeat. And there should have been learning. There should have been an ability to trust, an innate ability to trust because they'd seen him work. But they didn't. And they were failures because they didn't trust in what they knew. They knew that God could provide water from the rock. They'd already seen it. Do we follow after Israel's example of unbelief? But think about knowledge of the word, knowledge knowing, and knowing by application, trusting in that word. They're two seemingly little but different things. I use the illustration of cement. You know, cement in a bag, you can't do anything with it. You can't build anything with it. You pour it on the ground and it doesn't, you can't build anything on it. It has to be mixed. It has to be mixed with sand and water. And then you mix it with sand and water and you see what's out in front of the church. A, a cement wall. You can walk on it. Our knowledge of the word needs to be mixed. We have with our faith in the word, our faith in what he's describing to us. To exercise that faith, to enter into that rest. Moment-by-moment faith is the key to truly living the Christian life. Now, here in Hebrews, tells us as Moses told the nation of Israel to stand still and see what God would provide to have a Sabbath with God. Get hold of his promises. There's sayings to us. There's truths that will sustain us. Our power in our daily experience is our confidence in what Christ has done for us and will continue to do. You know, in any week, any month, any year of our existence, there's heartbreaks, there's problems, there's difficulties that come our way, there's trials or call them. It doesn't make any difference. The point is, what happens because of them? What alters our walk with Christ or what sustains our walk with Christ? Two reactions for us as believers in difficulties. Two responses that we can have or more clearly that we can make and choose to believe the word of God and enter into God's rest, or we can choose to ignore God's word and face the difficulty on your own. The difficulty is still there. The place of rest is a mental attitude, and truly it's a mental attitude. I said 
described it initially as a complete collapse because there's no part of us or our effort that will ever provide rest. It's a complete dependence on the source of rest. Our joy in life. And that's Jesus Christ. He alone can provide rest. And trusting in his providential care for us, then we will experience a joy, a pure delight, or a rest. We can enjoy God's smallest provisions. And we can take for granted everything in our lives, or we can, we can give thanks for even the smallest things. You know, you, you wait all winter to sit outside on your deck and feel the sun. Nah, what a blessing. Trials and difficulties are designed to move us into a place of dependence or collapse in Christ. Now, I'm not going to go there, but read at some point Matthew 6, 25 through 34. talks about provision for us. But in John 16, 33, says, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace in this world. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, because I have overcome the world. Occupation with God's word, that's victory in our life. You could trace every failure in your life back to no occupation with God's word. Tells us over and over, Deuteronomy 6, Proverbs 6.20, to hide it in our heart. He tells us to put it as frontlets in our eyes. He tells us to occupy our time. He tells us to memorize God's word. Why does he do that over and over? Because it's absolutely essential. God promises to strengthen us. He promises to uphold us. Promises to give us care in, in face of adversity. The Psalms are littered with promises of God's care for us. God is saying to us, won't you see and learn from the failures of Israel here in Hebrews? Won't you see and learn from that? His desire is that we should completely trust him and learn to walk with him moment by moment and rest then in his provision. Oftentimes, that's where trials come from. Trials come because we need to see him and we're not as we're not seeing him. And so he needs to bring adversity. What we need to see in trials is that 
he will provide for us as he has before. You know, the strength of our salvation is the same as it was in first tense. It was placing our faith in what Jesus Christ did for us completely apart from ourselves. And our strength of our salvation moment by moment is placing our faith on Christ's provision for us apart from ourselves. We're complete in Christ. In Colossians 2.10, he says that we are complete in Christ. Turn uh, to 1 Kings 17. Got a couple minutes yet. I wasn't going to go here, but... Look at verse 8. Now, Schofield's little heading there is God feeds Elijah at Zarephath. And we don't have time, I just looked. We don't, we don't have time to read it, but read it later. God provides here for Elijah in every way. The purpose of God in our lives, he would be glorified. And we just need to trust that he'll provide for us in, in every way. Okay, turn back. I shouldn't have had you turn. Turn back to uh, Hebrews 4. We'll hit the last few verses here. Look at verse 9. Says there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. A rest is available to believers, obviously, people of God. The rest is provided in our salvation, in our position, but also in our practice. And look at verse 10. He that has entered into his rest. Now, who is it that enters into the rest? Well, he tells us in the next cloth, he also has ceased from his own works. So he who has ceased from his own works has entered into his rest. We must learn that the spirit-filled life is centered in stability in Christ and our faith and trust in what he has provided and cease 
from our own works. Our rest will never change regardless of the circumstances that come in our lives. And truly, there is nothing left for us to do. We can cease from our work. Just as there was no work in initial salvation, there's no work in living the Christian life. There's no work in resting in Christ. And that's why I said, relax and enjoy the ride. Because you have nothing to do with it. Except in verse 11. He says, let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. Now, labor means to be ambitious or diligent or to exert oneself, or to have the right mental attitude. Our labor is not work. We're not producing anything. We are seeking, diligently seek him. Second Peter 1, verse 5 says, And besides this, give all diligence to add to your faith virtue, the virtue knowledge, Wherefore, rather, rather than give diligence to make your calling and election sure, if you do these things, you shall never fail. I skipped a little bit from verse 5 to verse 10. We need to decide, that's what we do, we decide to do what? To occupy our mind with Jesus Christ. That's the diligence. That's Christian diligence. It's not doing anything. It's seeking diligently he will not force us just as he does not force man to be saved does not force you to live the Christian life the way he has designed it in Proverbs 4.23 says keep thy heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life But it's not keep by garrison. It's not surround your heart and keep it from any kind of evil thought. It's give your heart to the Lord. Fill your mind with God's word. Joshua 1.80 says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt shall meditate therein day and night. And what's the result? Then you'll be prosperous. And then you'll have good success. God will keep all of these things. All of his provisions, all of his promises, all of his blessings he's bestowed upon us. He asks us to trust him. Okay, turn for a second to uh, the book of Isaiah. There's two little sections of verses I'd like to end with. In Isaiah chapter 40, verses 12 through 18, he tells us to consider him and all he did. So he says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us 
Oh, that's wrong. Sorry. <laughs> Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and meted out heaven with a span and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure? Weighed the mountains and the scales and the hills in a balance? Who hath directed the spirit of the Lord or being his counselor hath taught him anything? With whom took he counsel and who instructed him and taught him in the path of judgment? taught him knowledge or showed to him the way of understanding. Behold, the nations are a drop in a bucket or counter small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh up the isles a very little thing. And Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor the beast thereof sufficient for a birth. All nations before him are nothing. They are counted to him as less than nothing in vanity. To whom then would you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare unto him? And then this great God, there's no comparison to, a few verses later in 28 of chapter 40, gives us the encouragement. He says, Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary, there's no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint and to them that have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Think of Moses again. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. To rest in Christ is to trust him explicitly. That wherever we are and whatever we're experiencing is exactly what he wants us to experience. We understand that we can sit back and relax then. And not worry, but rather rest in his provision for us. God's perspective is... We wouldn't want it to be any different. So relax, truly, and enjoy the ride. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and thank you for your provision. So amazing. So amazing the provision you have to walk with you in close association, in close fellowship. We can walk and talk with the very creator of the universe. How amazing is that? Pray that we would learn to trust you in every situation, in every moment of our lives, that we could then prove as that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.